kind of a milestone that we passed today is uh, a celebration for you as well because uh, we, we experienced this together and uh, I and my wife and family so appreciate your support over the years, your prayers over the years. Uh, and uh, I know when I first came here, I recognized very quickly that this congregation was made up of working class people. And I knew it would be good because that's the way I was raised. Uh, working hard and uh, I always tried to, to do my best. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite retiring yet. <laughs> I, I sound like, you know, we're, look, we're looking at my life in the past, but uh, I, I enjoy working with all of you. I, I, I've tried my best and I, and I love you all. I want you to know that, but it's been a pleasure for my wife and I to be in this church area working with such kind, generous, and loving people. And uh, again, we celebrate together. God has, has done wonderful things through our congregation, and one of the greatest uh, senses of satisfaction that I'll have throughout my entire life and entire ministry is the fact that God has brought us from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing every day. So that, that's, I feel, one of the greatest achievements I've encountered in, in ministry. And thank you for, for staying. Thank you for making that transition, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. And it was a pleasure to follow you in that direction. Now, will you all do me a favor? Will you grant me another 15 minutes today? <laughs> because I, I cannot uh, finish the, this service without going to God's Word. So <laughs> let's do that. Uh, dear, would you hand me my glasses? They're over there. I've got a message for you today, and I think it does tie in with, with our celebration today. We're, we're going through a, a series of sermons on the book of Acts, so we're going to turn to Acts chapter nine, 9 today, and we're going to read about conversion. We're going to read about somebody being called to salvation, and the man, of course, is Saul, the persecutor of the church. And, you know, when we read this story, we think, wow, how unique this is. You know, the, what a dramatic calling that this man received. We're going to see today that it, it has a lot to do with your calling and my calling. And we're going to see exactly how, how that looks. So Acts chapter 9, we had been reading about how this man, zealous Jewish man, was persecuting the church. And it says, meanwhile, verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's us Christians, the way of life, Jesus is the way, so that's what Christianity was called early on, the way whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was traveling a total of 169 miles to the city of Damascus looking for believers so that he could arrest them, throw them in jail, and maybe even worse, they may lose their lives. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, he recounts this story a couple of other times, in his uh, epistles, and he says, this happened at noontime. 
So here you are outside at noontime in a light so bright, brighter than the sun, flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So this is the man that Saul thought was dead, that they had put to death. And here he is speaking to him now. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. He had been struck blind. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to, in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go up to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God had this all worked out in advance. We talked about that last week, how he works behind the scenes, making connections. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, Saul, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So he, Saul had been dealing out the suffering. Now God's going to explain to him that he's going to have to do some suffering on his own. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And then when he finally came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on the journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers and living in the fear of the Lord. Wow, what a dramatic turnaround in one person's life. 
Imagine being called like that and being changed instantly from a persecutor of the church to a member of the church. That indeed is a miracle by God. You think, wow, I, I wish my calling was that dramatic. Well, you know what? In several ways it is. And I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you five points about Paul's conversion. And you ask yourself, maybe you might think back to the time when you were first called and if God worked miracles in your life as well. The first lesson that we can learn from Paul's calling is this. Conversion comes as a result of God's initiative, not ours. So you can certainly see that in Paul's life. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute, to imprison Christians. And in the blink of an eye almost, God's will was done in his life. God took the first step. God made the call. God knocked him off his horse. God blinded him. God softened him up and humbled him to the point that he was ready for instruction. And he took the instruction and followed it. So Jesus was the one who took the first step toward Paul's conversion. Jesus is the one that took the first step in your conversion. You may not have necessarily been seeking God or seeking to know Jesus, but Jesus intervened in your life and turned things around and got your attention. You know, I've shared with you before that at the time I was called, now I was baptized as an infant, and I was raised as a Catholic, and I'm thankful for that. But I wasn't really in a relationship with Jesus. When I was about 23 years old, I enlisted in the Air Force. I signed up for six years. I had an appointment to go down to San Antonio, Texas, Lackland Air Force Base, to begin officer's training school. And I had expressed interest in flying, so I was going to enter pilot training. But in a matter of about a week, Something happened in the world. There was the Yom Kippur War, and uh, there was a gas shortage. If you remember back in those days, the early 70s, when the price of gas went up, and gas was just not available. And the Air Force contacted me and said, unfortunately, we're going to have to cancel uh, some pilot training uh, that was scheduled. You're included in that group, so uh, we hope to get things going back in about six months or so. And they said, you know what, we will give you a choice right now if you want to wait for six months or we're willing to release you from your six-year enlistment. And right at that time, I was getting interested in the church and the Bible. And I think God put it on my heart that uh, what I should do is get out of the military since they're giving me this opportunity and now apply myself fully to learning about the Bible and going to church on a regular basis. So that's what I did. And my life changed dramatically within about a week. I was taken out of one army or military and put in God's military. I became a soldier of God. So why does Jesus take the initiative in our calling? So that nobody can boast. We can't brag or say, well, the reason I'm here and the reason I'm doing this is because of my greatness, what I've achieved, what I've deserved. Uh, turn with me to 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 1.9. You know, uh, Paul had nothing to boast about. He had things to regret in his life. 
because of the way that he treated Christians. And he later wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. It says this. Talking about Jesus Christ who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So the reason you're here, the reason I'm here, is because Jesus Christ initiated a calling in our lives. He knocked us off our horse. He did whatever he needed to do in our individual case to get our attention and to draw us to him. And we had to respond to that, but all of the glory goes to God. Now, a second point about Paul's conversion is he had a personal encounter with Jesus himself. The light shone. It says that he saw Jesus. This one that he convinced himself was dead and buried. Uh, he's actually alive, and he's now calling. So we all have a personal encounter with Jesus. It may come in different ways, but if we're converted, uh, we have met him. He, we've entered into a personal relationship with him. And that's something that grows and develops throughout your life. And it may not be for a while, even after you become a Christian, that you have a personal encounter with him. I remember a personal encounter, as uh, Pastor uh, Oren was saying. The church was changing. God was calling us out of our past legalism, and he was calling us to grace. And it was hard for us to understand. And I encouraged the people, the, the members of the congregation, I said, if you don't understand everything right now, just hang in there. We're going to learn about this as we go along. Now, some people would refuse to be patient and wait, and they just left. They departed. They uh, quit the church. They went to, to find some other church. And I understand, because you know what? They had to sacrifice a lot. When we were living under legalism, it required a lot of sacrifices. A lot of jobs were lost because of the Sabbath day. There were marriages that broke up because one was a believer and the other was not, and the unbeliever could not understand. Uh, there were families that broke up. There were kids who struggled in school because they could not participate in football and baseball and basketball because it, it meant breaking the Sabbath day. And you know, when the changes came, some people were offended. And they said, I don't want any more to do with this because I had to sacrifice so much. I gave up so much for this way of life and now you're telling me that things are changing? And they couldn't deal with it. They couldn't handle it. But uh, I was preaching, and it was hard to preach because I didn't fully understand the direction that we were going, and I just tried to encourage everybody and, and told people to remain patient. We're going to learn as we go along, and you know what? We learned a lot, and we understood totally what grace means and why we're saved by grace and not by works. But uh, one night, I can remember before uh, giving a sermon, it was a Saturday night, well, at that time, was it Friday or Saturday? But uh, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I didn't see him, 
but he spoke very clearly in my mind the fact that we cannot rely on anything for our salvation. Our salvation is not based on Sabbath keeping. It's not based on the foods we eat or don't eat. It's not based on the days that we keep. It's not based on any of that. It's based on Jesus alone and his grace alone. And a lot of these things, the Sabbath day and the holy days, even though we didn't realize it, we were leaning on these things. And you know what? These were things that we did. It was our works. And it was like Jesus came along and kicked all of those things out from under us that we were leaning on. And he said, it's none of that. It's me. You are saved by grace alone, not by anything else. And that was my personal encounter. And that's when I got the point. And I said, yes, Lord, you're right. And I, it, it, it helped my teaching and my preaching. So we're told in John 17, verse 3, John 17, verse 3, real beautiful verse here. And this is what it says. Jesus says in John 17 and verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's all about relationship. And I must admit that all those years in my Catholic upbringing and in the early years of the church, I did not really know Jesus Christ. And I did not know the Father. And now I know him. I know them. And I realize that they dwell in me. So a personal encounter is something that we all have. Number three, Paul surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember when he got knocked off his horse and Jesus spoke to him, the first thing he said was, he didn't say, who are you? He said, Lord. Who are you, Lord? Okay, the Greek word kyrios. It can mean either, either Lord or sir. But Paul obeyed every word that he was told because he recognized whoever this is, he is the boss of me. This, guy, this person who knocked me off my horse and blinded me and now has my full attention, he is my Lord. And you know what? We have to come to the point where Jesus is not just uh, the Son of God. He's not just the Messiah, but he is the boss of me. And I don't know if some Christians come to that, that point and what Paul did is he immediately began to fast, even though he wasn't told to fast, because he humbled himself to seek God. So we have to come to the point where Jesus is not just a friend, he's not just a good guy, he's not just a prophet. He is our Lord, he is our boss, he is our Lord and Master. And I think that's a good way for us to approach him. We need to surrender our lives to him. And that's something that's required of all of us. You know, there are phrases that are used for conversion. Paul didn't make a decision for Christ. Paul didn't commit to Christ. Paul surrendered to Christ. Amen. And that's what we're all called to do. Amen. We're all called to come to the point where we realize it's no longer me. Jesus, this Jesus Christ that I worship is my Lord and master. He is the boss of my life. I'm going to listen intently to what he says and do my very best to obey. 
Point number four. Others in the body of Christ played an important role in Paul's conversion and in his early church life. And so is the case with us. Okay? When we are baptized, and I remember years ago when I was first baptized, there were individuals in the church who helped me, who kind of took me under their wing. There were people that I knew in the church, I met their acquaintance, and I called upon them on a, on a regular basis to ask them questions, to say, take them aside and say, okay, I see all these people doing such and such. Uh, what's that all about? And they would take me aside gently and explain things to me, to learn the ropes, so to speak. And, you know, whenever God calls somebody new to the church, they still need people like that, people who are humble, but yet are patient and can kind of take them aside and say, hey, how you doing? It's really good to have you here in the church. And if there's any way I can help and you know that they're struggling, do what you can to help them. Uh, Paul had who? He had Ananias. Not, not only did he have the church, it said that uh, after baptism, he spent many days with the church members in Damascus. He wasn't an apostle yet. He was just a new church member. And the, the church in Damascus encouraged him. Then he had Ananias, who was sent to Paul to heal him. And what did Ananias call him? He didn't say, well, you dirty rat, you're the one who's been persecuting the church. Uh, God told me to come here. I don't want, I don't want to be here. Uh, but he told me to come here and help you, so I guess I will. He said, brother, brother Saul. So imagine a former enemy of the church, and you're sent to help him, and you go with a friendly approach. Brother Saul, I'm here to help. God sent me. What can I do? And then it came time for Paul to go to Jerusalem, the headquarters church, and the apostles were there. The apostles didn't want to have anything to do with him. They feared him. They said, this is like a sneak attack. This guy is a, a Pharisee, and he's trying to sneak into the church here and, and find out what's going on, and then he's going to lower the boom on us all. And you can't blame him for, for being doubtful, but Barnabas, whose name means encourager, took Paul, and he took him up to the apostles and said, hey, this guy's for real. He's really changed, and now he's here to serve. So he kind of was the bridge for Saul to meet the apostles and to find out what his responsibilities would eventually be in the church. So this is what happened in Saul's conversion. Number one, God took the initiative in the calling, same as you. Number two, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, just as we do. Number three, he had to surrender to the lordship of Christ, which we're called to do. Number four, other members of the church helped him along as he struggled in his new life, as what happens here. And finally, the fact that Saul was not converted just for his own salvation. And you know what? You were not converted just for your own salvation. Grace isn't something that we receive from God and then just kind of hoard to ourselves. Paul was called to witness and preach the gospel. So sometimes Christians, you know, we've told the story of how sometimes somebody new comes along, wants to be baptized, we baptize them, and boom, they're gone. We never see them again. Why? Because they got 
what they wanted. Forgiveness of their sins, eternal life, and where are they now? They're not in the church. They're, they're gone someplace because they didn't get the point. It didn't make sense to them that when you're called and converted, it's not just for your own salvation. You now become involved in other people's salvations. You're out there witnessing, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus, sharing your story. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Jesus Christ in this fallen world. We have the responsibility not just to get saved ourselves, but we have the responsibility and the privilege of representing Jesus on earth and communicating his message to the world. You have to get the big picture. So Paul certainly became a representative for Jesus Christ. He became an apostle to the Gentiles. So here is a Jew who used to think that Gentiles were dogs. That's the word that they used to describe Gentiles, dogs. His job was to take the gospel to the dogs and preach it. And here we are today still studying his words in the epistles. Okay, His ministry still has an effect on our lives today. So his salvation wasn't just for himself, but he knew that he was an ambassador. He wanted to serve his Lord and master, his boss, and he did it for the rest of his life until eventually in about the year 64, 65 AD, he was taken to Rome where Nero had his head chopped off. He became a martyr for the church. And he remained loyal to his very death. What an outstanding example he set for us. But you have experienced all of the same things that he went through when he was called. Yeah, his calling was very dramatic, but you know what? So was yours. So we celebrate along with Saul, who later was named Paul. And uh, in a similar way, we have been called to salvation and to preach the gospel just as he was. We're going to have our uh, communion service, so we'll have the workers go back and prepare now.